to Mark chapter 5. All right, so the focus of this part of Mark chapter 5 is uh, the reality of Satan and the fallen angels, demons, evil spirits. They're very real, and we need to be aware of them and how they operate and how we are to live in light of their reality. Yeshua removes thousands of demons from a man on the east side of the Canaret. Canaret is the name for the Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea, it's a freshwater lake called the Canaret. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And the uh, Canaret is about eight miles wide. When Yeshua climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Uh, Rabbi Jerry, how about we start with you? What are some of the indicators of demon possession that Mark gives us so far? Because there will be a few more. Well, the first one that we draw our attention to is his supernatural strength. Um, he is not only is he snapping the chains from his wrists, but he's uh, smashing shackles. Uh, you know, I, I read this, and I think of like the Hulk from uh, Marvel, you know, this monstrous, he's like this monstrous creature, right, with supernatural strength. Nobody can subdue him, uh, so he's left to wander around. He's screaming, he's self-harming in this way with cutting, um, but he's really, what we, we really, really see here is he's acting like a wild animal. He's not really acting like a human being, right? He's, he's in these caves, he's eating God knows what. You know, in these caves, right, he's away from society. He has, like, lost his mind. He is no longer acting as a human being made in the image of God. He's acting like a wild beast. It's probably a good idea to um, get a little bit of the geographic uh, context here. The east side of the Galilee was markedly different from the west side of the Galilee. The west side of Galilee was highly populated, lots of Jewish villages and towns, uh, fairly prosperous. The east side of the, of, of the Canaret was very different. Far fewer Jewish people lived on that side. Uh, that side had the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. It had a reputation for being very dark, spiritually dark. Uh, you know, we talk about being on the wrong side of the tracks. That was being on the wrong side of the lake. It was a very, very dark place. 
Now, we were told at the end of chapter 4 that it was uh, evening time when they began their crossing. And at, as Rabbi Lauren said, at its widest, the, uh, the Canaret is eight miles wide. Where they were, which was probably Capernaum, it's not quite as wide. It's about five, five and a half miles wide at that point. So in spite of the great storm, um, they probably arrived at the Gadarenes, and it's still dark. So imagine you're, it's, it's already dark, and you're arriving in a very dark, distressing place. Uh, so just kind of imagine they're arriving there and how they're feeling. Um, by the way, uh, it's just worth noting, um, Mark and Luke and Matthew all record this event. Matthew indicates that there were two men that came out from the tombs. Mark and Luke tell us it was, it was one man in particular. It's not a contradiction. It would be a contradiction if one of them said there was only one man and the other said there were two men. Uh, the fact is all that's happening here in Mark and in Luke is that the focus is on the one and probably what happened was the other one just ran away. And so now we're focusing on this one especially troubled, demon-possessed man. Uh, and I asked the question, and we should all wonder about this, how did he get this way? He probably wasn't born that way. Um, perhaps at one time he was just a member in good standing of the community. He was part of the community. What happened? We don't know. But we know the condition that he's in. And he's obviously, he can't be in town. He cannot be among the people. He's been banished, as it were, uh, to the tombs where nobody goes. And what a distressing situation. In Luke chapter 8, we have an additional note that he, he went around naked all the time. So he's hurting himself. He's howling, as Rabbi Jerry said, resembling more an animal. And this tells us something about the hostility, the contempt that Satan and the demons have for human beings. We bear God's image. They want to make us as unlike God's image as possible. Verse 6, when Yeshua was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. That's interesting. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Yeshua, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Yeshua had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Rabbi Jerry, can those who are demon-possessed have more than normal spiritual knowledge? I would say absolutely. We've seen this elsewhere in uh, Scripture, and we'll, we'll see it again. But, you know, demons have been around for a very long time. Satan himself has been around for a very long time. They have an intimate knowledge of who God is. They have an intellectual knowledge. 
but it's not a saving knowledge, right? They, they know these things to be true about who God is and who Yeshua is, but they obviously have different plans than God does. Rabbi Glenn, anything to add? Well, what's curious is that the man saw Yeshua at a distance and ran to meet him and bowed down to him. At what point is it the demon inside him causing him to act? And at what point is it maybe the man recognizing that it's Yeshua and desperate for help, knowing that Yeshua is the one who can help him? Uh, hard to know where one ends and the other begins. Such is the nature of demon possession. Uh, but there is that interrelationship. That demon is within him. The demon uh, is the one speaking. Why are you interfering? And then he calls him Yeshua, son of the most high God. We'll talk about that that whole idea of identification. Yes, and that's going to be very important, and we're getting a glimpse of that right here. So Yeshua immediately knows what's going on. He immediately discerns that this is a man who is demon-possessed. He tells the evil spirit to leave. Uh, what did the demon then ask Yeshua to do, Rabbi Jerry. Well, he asked him, if we read in the, this translation, he says, uh, he says, I beg you, don't torture me. What's interesting here is he says, you know, in the name of God, uh, I beg you, do not torture me. Uh, this is, I think, part of, a little bit of a weakness of the NLT. In most translations, you'll see it say, I abjure you. They'll use that word abjure, which really has a connotation of almost like a, a mystical kind of command, like magical formula, abjuring, you know, he's commanding him. It's Jesus is, is asserting control over this demon, and in a sense, even though he's prostrating himself before him, he's, there's, there's a combativeness going on here. Rabbi Glenn? Yeah, uh, demons uh, apparently... Um, uh, have to be inhabiting a being in order to feel whole, I guess. They, they have to be inhabiting a person. Uh, the idea that they are cast out of a, of a, of a person uh, and they are wandering, as it were, is something that they just cannot tolerate. Uh, why that is is a, a secondary question. But, but he did not want to come out of that man and Yeshua was already commanding him to come out. Any thoughts on what Rabbi Jerry said about, you know, the demon begging um, Yeshua, you know, in the name of God? Or I'm not even sure what the word abjure means. Well, that's what I think, the, I think the NASB and the NIV both use that word what there. It, what does it mean, though? I abjure. It's a word we, like, never We don't know. use it in English. It, the sense of that in the Greek when I was looking it up this week and looking at different things, um, it's... It, they see it as connected to sort of like this pagan, it's like, it's almost like this sort of like commanding, like a... Is it begging, asking, I abjure? I it's like there, there's an aspect of command to it. It's in the same way as like you see the, the magician, you know, invoking the name of Yeshua and Acts, that sort of thing as well. And the high priest used the term, I adjure you to Yeshua, that you tell right, us... So the idea is because of who God is, because of the nature of God... Um, be consistent with who God is and don't torture me. Yeah, he, he's, he has to, he's submitting. These demons are submitting 
to Yeshua, the prostrating, and this is where the NLT, I think, does get it right, is they are, he's prostrating himself before Yeshua, as he has to, but he's also trying to, again, he doesn't want to leave this man, so he's desperate to stay within this man. But, you know, he also knows he, he can't stop Yeshua from doing what he wants to do. But again, back to the word abjure, it's like I'm appealing to you on the basis yeah. of who God is not to do what you're doing, cast me out of this yeah. man. It could be that abjure has, uh, and I'm not sure, has the same um, root as the idea of jurisprudence, um, legal, doing fair. what is legal, fair, and just. That's interesting. Yeah, there's there, there's definitely a spiritual battle. There's what's also interesting about this. You know, he, I just want to make this point as well about the character of this is we have an, you know, an unclean person, right? He's filled with demons. He lives in an unclean place, right? We see he's staying with dead bodies, and he may have been even some commentators say you know people would leave food offerings for the dead in in pagan societies, so he may have been uh, eating the food being left for the dead there. But he's clearly living among dead bodies in an unclean area as well. We see that later on, we'll see that there are pigs being raised here, unclean animals. So he's in a spiritually dark place in the most spiritually dark area of this dark place. And so that's an important point, I think, just to keep in mind, is just how his entire life has been corrupted. And again, like Rabbi Glenn said, we don't know where the beginning and the end is, you know, was he, what was he doing before that led him to being demon-possessed? But we see that clearly these demons want to live in a very dark place with this, with this man inside of a dark society. Things go with things. Mm-hmm. So the darkest of the dark, the, the dark spirits, the uncleanness, death, you know, this is where this, this is like one of the ways Satan operates, the fallen angels, is they want to destroy us by corrupting us, uh, dehumanizing us, right? Driving us farther away from light and truth and normalcy into darkness and chaos and death. And And in as much as we are kind of focusing on the nature of demonic activity and demonic possession, what we cannot do is lose sight of the fact that this poor man is in the worst imaginable condition. And our hearts should be breaking for him. Uh, Something wonderful is about to happen to him, but he is in the worst possible place, and our hearts should be broken. That is a great point. Verse 9, Then Yeshua demanded, What is your name? Now, this is really important. Is Yeshua speaking to the man, or is Yeshua speaking to the evil spirit? Yeshua demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. So, Rabbi Glenn, what's the significance of Legion? A Legion is usually had reference to a Roman a battalion of 6,000 men. That's what a legion was, a battalion of 6,000. Um, you know, there's a question to be asked here. Did Yeshua ask the name of the demon because he lacked information? 
other than the day and the hour of his return to planet Earth, which has remained in the Father's purview alone, Yeshua is Lord. So perhaps he's not asking, what is your name, because he lacked that information. And perhaps he wasn't even stating it as a question. Perhaps he was saying, state your name, not what is your name, as though he didn't know. He knows. He, he's King Messiah. He knows. Uh, but he's going to battle right now. So you're saying that Yeshua was talking to the demon, wanting to know the name of the demon. I say he already knew the name, and he's forcing the demon to acknowledge his name. I don't see that at all. And I think this is where um, a lot of misunderstanding happens in um, deliverance ministry groups. I don't think Jesus is talking to the demon at all. I don't think he cares who the demon is or his identity or his name. I think even if he's asking the man his name, he's not asking for lack of information. That point is true. But I don't think Jesus is talking to um, the demon. I think he's talking to the man who has come to him asking for, you know, wanting help. I think, what's your name? I think he expected him to say something like Ephraim or Baruch or <laughs> Moshe or, you know, I, I don't think he's talking to the demon. Rabbi Jerry, any thoughts? I, so because if you, if you don't think he's talking to the demon, then the question becomes, what, why is he asking the man his name? So you previously made the statement that you thought the reason why the, the, this demon-possessed man ran towards Jesus, towards Yeshua, was you know, a, a need for deliverance. You know, in the sense of like, he, he was like, he sees this great man coming, he, he has some awareness, and he's running towards him to be healed. I would argue that, first of all, there's no indication here this man is Jewish, right? We are in a pagan area, um, and this person, you know, and this and this person's in a not in a Jewish area. But I would say, but more than that, I would say I think the it was the demon, the spirits that forced this man to run towards Yeshua. Again, you, we point out that we a, don't know. We don't know. Well, it is it is dark, but there's no indication that he had any knowledge that Yeshua was coming, right? There's no crowd here. And Does it uh, say it was dark? It doesn't say it was dark, but, we, but there's nothing there that says, hey, how would he have knowledge that Yeshua was coming? The, the demons, being spiritual beings, would recognize this, but I wouldn't say the man would. So he immediately runs towards him and prostrates himself, himself this man does. I think the demons are doing this. They're in full control. And I think, I think when he says, what is your name? I think part of this is, like Rabbi Glenn says, he already knew the man's name, but contextually, right, what happened right before this? Wait, 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 wait. All right, you're disagreeing with me on the list. Jesus knew everything about every human being yeah. he ever encountered? Yeah, he knew this guy's name already. I don't think so. I think he didn't need, I would say with Rabbi, what Rabbi Glenn says, he didn't need to ask. I, so my point is, here's the real point I'm getting at, is if we go back to Mark 4, what happened right before this? The disciples are afraid Yeshua has been demonstrating his power. I think this whole, because why, when you, it says in this passage that Yeshua had already commanded this demon to leave this man. 
So why, why didn't so why would he need to know his name? So why didn't the demon immediately leave when Yeshua commanded him? Because elsewhere we see when Yeshua says that it says right in Mark, he commanded the unclean spirit to leave, the unclean spirit leaves. I think this is deliberate as a lesson for the disciples and maybe the man himself, but I think this is part of a lesson for the disciples. And this is why this whole thing is being drawn out in this way, is to reveal information about who Yeshua is and nature demons for his disciples. All right. I don't think Jesus, Yeshua, was talking to the demons at all. I don't think he is teaching us, giving us an example that we should be talking to demons. I would, I would, just, I would agree with that. their names. They are I agree liars. You can't trust a word that comes out of a demon's mouth. Although verse, not... eight, although, although verse 8 says Yeshua had already said to the spirit come That's out of the, the mouth. That's the key thing. He well, why is that the key thing? Because he had already, Yeshua had already said to the spirit, leave this man. All right, when someone comes to you for help, is it unusual for you to say to someone who comes to you for help, what's your name? No. When someone comes to me for help, one of the first things I ask them is, what's your name? Who are you? I don't, I think it is wrong to understand this as Jesus talking to the demon, asking for his name, asking for information. This is where the charismatic Pentecostal deliverance ministries feel that you have to identify the name of a demon in order to cast it out. So <laughs> what, yeah. what's the name of the demon? Are you a demon of... Um, alcohol? Are you a demon of lust? Are you a demon of gambling? Uh, because I need to know your name in order to cast you out like Yeshua did with this man. Okay. Granted, Rabbi Lauren, there's a lot of things being done the wrong way today. Nevertheless, the text says what it says. And even if we're uncomfortable with it, I think we need to be willing to wrestle with what it said. First of all, um, there was, even if we consider that they were in error about it, there was a common Jewish superstition at the time. It's a documented superstition that to the effect that um, you, you could gain spiritual authority if you knew or could, uh, or could say that person's exact name. Even though it was superstition, it was a very real view that a lot of Jewish people had at the time. This is an ancient Jewish document, this gospel. We would not do things the same way today, but I think we need so to... So Yeshua is going along with, I think with we need Jewish to, superstition? I think, he, I think he's critiquing it. So this goes back to my argument that this is about the right. disciples and how they... Again, when the disciples asked, why was this man uh, blind? Was it what did his parents do, right? And he says, no, it has nothing to do with their parents, right? He's critiquing their view of the supernatural, of how this works. He's not critiquing their view by repeating the same superstitious Well, era. he never gets a name, right? Because that's the thing. The, 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 we all agree that, I mean, we would all agree here okay. that Legion is not the demon's right. He does right. get a okay. name. Okay, I think, we need, I think we need to move on. My opinion is he's not talking <laughs> to the demon, and we should never talk to demons. And if they tell you my name is Fred or alcohol or the spirit of Jezebel, you don't believe them. I agree with that. You don't trust them. It makes no difference. I'm just pointing out that we're reading a first century Jewish document. And in, there was a common assumption at that period of time 
that the use of a precise name of an adversary gave one mastery over him. And I don't him. think that Jesus would go along with Jewish superstitions. Okay, so regardless, <laughs> what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion. There's a battalion of us, 6,000 men. Can more than one demon coexist in one human being? Rabbi Jerry. Yes. And I think that's what's going on here. Legion is not his name. Legion represents the, that there's a multitude, a, a powerful force, right? A legion is a powerful force in the Roman world. So there's a powerful force of demons inside this man. Are there degrees of demon possession, levels of intensity? I would say absolutely. This, this is a high, high level of intensity, not just with the quantity of demons inside this man, but you know, not every demon possession case develops superhuman strength. This is an extraordinary situation. Imagine how bad this, imagine how bad off this poor guy is. Demons don't have love for each other. They, they hate everything. Yeah, they hate God, they hate human beings, and they don't exactly love each other. It's the nature of evil, right? I can just imagine them quarreling inside this guy, fighting with each other inside this guy. There's no love lost between them. They do have orders that they have to follow, but uh, there's no love lost there. Um, this poor guy was in a bad way. I think there are different degrees of demon possession. And I think we're meant to understand that this guy was as bad off as you could possibly imagine. Rabbi Glenn, do you believe that we need to inquire about the name of a demon before we cast it out and get its name right? I have so little experience in... Uh, in demonic activity or exorcism or anything like that, all I could have is an opinion. My opinion is I don't know. I'm very safe, Rabbi Glenn. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the less safe opinion. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say you don't need this because it's not about. Again, this is I think this is something we get wrong in our society, and they got wrong back then is our faith is not based on magical formulas and incantations, okay? You get people who think praying in Hebrew makes God hear your prayers more and all sorts of nonsense. We don't do anything within our power. We do things within the power of God working through us. So the only thing you need to perform anything in this life, either mundane or supernatural, is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. And God is the one who does all the rest. It, at most, you're a conduit for the Holy Spirit. That's it. And again, we don't, he never got his name here. So we don't have that as an example. He did get a name. I don't think Legion was his name. That's what I'm saying. Well, you can think that. But okay. He said, what is your name? And he but, replied, my name is Legion. But there's 6,000 of them. Yeah. Legion there is, it, it wasn't a name. It was a indicator. Okay, so if you need to know the name of the demon, you would need to know 6,000 names or more, right? Well, do you know, because here's a question, this is brought up. So I'm curious about this. I, I really don't know. Do you, so would you believe that this man had a single demon named Legion or do you think he had 6,000 demons within him or more? 
I think he had many, many demons. Doesn't mean exactly 6,000. Right, right. Um, I think one of them apparently was speaking for all of them. That's not his name, then. Yeah, one of them was speaking, and he's saying, there's a lot of us. Saying, my name is Legion. There's a lot of us. We're like a Roman legion. My point is you don't need the name of a demon or demons to get rid of them. Okay. (laughs) I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying let's wrestle with what's there. We're trying to. (laughs) Verse 10, then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Why were they begging him not to be sent to some distant place, Rabbi Jerry? Uh, what Rabbi Glenn said earlier, they, in some way, demons prefer to be in uh, human beings. As we'll see here, they, they can't have in animals, uh, but they desire to be in living creatures for whatever reason. And again, this is a very spiritually dark land. They also want to stay within this land. You know, they want to stay in their domain, I think, as part of this as well, that they have some level of sway in, in this area. So the kingdom of darkness, there is a hierarchy. There's angels in charge of this and that. There are. Maybe they wanted to stay within their territory, their domain. Okay. Anything to add, Rabbi Glenn? Well, um, in Luke 8... They specifically begged him not to send them to the abyss. Mm. So we have shades of differences here. Um, I think, and I don't know, I I didn't look at the Greek for this passage, uh, but I think it says not to send them out of the country or out of that country. I think think that's what it was there. So um, apparently, again, they, demons live to torment human beings because we bear the image of God. So by striking out at us, they're striking out at God and apparently being idle to them is intolerable. Verse 11, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. All right, so... Evil spirits, demons, fallen angels can live in human beings. They obviously can live in animals. Can they live in trees, lakes, rivers, idols, temples, pagan shrines? Rabbi Glenn. Well, they can live in animals. They don't want to. (laughs) Um, Their goal is to mess us up. They don't care about the animals. They they can live in them, but they don't want to. Uh, And as soon as they went into the pigs, we know what happened. Um, But can demons live in trees or lakes or rivers? See, I bring this up. I ask this because the ancients believed this. They worshipped big trees. They worshipped the gods of lakes and rivers and mountains and built shrines and temples to their gods. I believe that these gods and idols, you know, nature gods, tree gods, water gods, I believe they were angels, fallen angels, that they were 
trying to appease, trying to, you know. I, I would say that I think a little nuance here that I think it's, I mean, I think it's possible they could live within these things. I think part of it, though, is not necessarily that they're in the river, but that there are certain areas where these demons would uh, just dwell. And I think part of it is, you know, it's kind of a chicken and the egg situation, right? Do the demons dwell in these areas and then people came and worshiped them? Or were people creating these idols and demons saw this and then were drawn to this area because of the false worship going on? And I think there's, I think it could be either or. And I think maybe in different cases, it was different. What, what we do see, I think, is that when we, demons want us to not worship God. Demons want us to worship anything ourselves as long as they got. And clearly, I think, and I agree with Rabbi Lauren on this, um, clearly throughout human history that demons have influenced humanity to worship high places. We see this throughout the Torah, rivers, trees, whatever, um, because it's anything and everything is great as long as it isn't God himself. Book of Revelation talks about the angels of the waters. God, angels serve God in various ways, and certain angels are in charge of physical phenomena like waters. So those are the good angels, the angels of the waters in Revelation. Um, can fallen angels associate themselves with waters, trees, dryads, naiads? The ancients had... <laughs> their understanding of nature was that there were a lot of powers associated with all these physical phenomena. And my point is, maybe they were understanding something. Maybe that these fallen angels, if they can live in pigs, they associated themselves with mountains, hills, waters, plains, you know, uh, different animals, uh, the Egyptian gods, you know, different animals, Right? building shrines where the presence of the God would manifest itself, but it wasn't a God, it was a fallen angel if, you know, if there was real activity there. That's, that's what I'm getting at. Okay. Verse 13, so Yeshua gave them permission to enter the pigs. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. All these evil spirits, maybe thousands of them left, entered into these animals, pigs. The pigs get freaked out, spooked, terrified, do something unnatural, <laughs> head into the lake and drown themselves, which is not something that a pig would ordinarily do. What's the implication if Yeshua gave them permission to enter the pigs, Rabbi Glenn? This is all about authority. And Messiah Yeshua has all authority. They have to ask his permission to do even this. They recognize he's the one with the authority. He's the one with the power. He's the one calling the shots. This is very much a power encounter going on. This is for the benefit of that poor man. And it's for the benefit of Yeshua's disciples. Remember, they are in the boat going across the Canaret. Big storm. Apparently a big enough storm that these seasoned fishermen thought they for sure they're going to die. It had to be pretty bad. 
They wake Yeshua up. He speaks a word. The Sea of Galilee becomes calm. And if they were scared before because of the storm, now they're really scared. Who is this in the boat with us? Now they're in a scary place, the gatherings. And there's a scary man filled with these terrible, terrible demons. And everybody's scared of him. Everybody's scared in this situation. And he's about to exercise complete authority over those demons. And they rush into this herd of pigs, drown. And now everybody's like, Forget the pigs, forget the demons. Who is this standing here in our midst? It's all about the authority and the power of the Son of God is, what's, is what we're seeing here. I absolutely agree. I think that, that, that fear and misunderstanding and authority is the driving theme in, in this narrative here and really throughout this section of, of Mark. And what's interesting is, you know, he says... Um, he gives them permission to leave, and we see enter the entire herd of pigs, uh, numbering about 2,000, right? And then they plunge. And so this also, I think, indicates that there are multiple demons here because it's going into multiple pigs. If it was a single demon, it wouldn't have gone into, uh, you know, 2,000 pigs. It would have gone into one pig. So clearly there are many demons here. Verse 14, the herdsmen, those who were watching over the pigs, fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Um, this had to be very upsetting to the herdsmen, right? Mm -hmm. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Yeshua, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And then this is the shocking verse to me. The crowd began <laughs> pleading with Yeshua to go away and leave them alone. I mean, I would have thought they would have begged him to stay. Um, Rabbi Yeshua from Nazareth, you have a lot of power there's other people who are having demonic problems. Won't you come into our town and free them from demonic oppression? That's what I would have thought. But no, the exact opposite. They began pleading with Yeshua to go away and leave them alone. Why? <laughs> Why did they plead with him to go away? Leave him alone, Rabbi Glenn. He is holy. And they want nothing to do with that kind of holiness. And he's powerful. And they don't know what to make of that kind of power. All they know is, as miserable as this poor guy had been, it was familiar. They were used to the darkness. They're used to the pigs. They're used to that whole way of life. And he is holy. And they're scared of him. Please go away. Um, I think that's what's going on. They are absolutely intimidated by his power and holiness. Can someone do a Google search right now and find out how much, not you, not you, how much a pig 
is going for right now, like a, a, an adult pig, how much they sell for. But make sure it's right. And then I'm talking about like a full pig. Pig could be anywhere from livestock market. You, go, you, can, you can slaughter a pig at 100 to 600 pounds. They, they come in all. Well, you know, sizes. like an average, I, I don't know, average size Maryland. Huh? Dollar to a dollar fifty per pound. So oh, say a pig is three hundred pounds. That's a good. That's an average good size pig, three hundred pounds. So three hundred dollars. Say five. Yeah, three hundred dollars per pig. There's two thousand of them. That's six hundred thousand dollars. No wait. Sixty thousand. Sixty thousand. Drop, drop a zero. Yeah. Drop a zero. It's okay. the new math. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Huh? Yeah. All right, 600 times 2,000. Uh, I'm sorry, that's... Now we're getting... It's also no, way no, higher. No, 2,000 times... Six, that is 600... Uh, 2,000, it was 2,000 times three. I'm sorry, add a zero. 60 to $75,000. Yeah, Anyway, it's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. All right. 2,000 times. It, it's like a million dollars of pigs. All right? It's they, also his entire business being wiped out as well. That is a huge economic hit. That is a huge loss. I think that's part of why, yes, Yeshua was holy and powerful, and he just caused a million dollars of prime pig to drown. Right. So, so I can understand that the owner of that herd is really upset. I can understand that the pig herdsmen are going to have to find another place to work. But that's a handful. It's like the people came out. Yes, but the people are learning the lesson. If Yeshua comes to our town, how many more pigs are going to die? Yeah. I, I think I think it's 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 about both. It's about it's about because it says there, right? It's the demon possessed man that's and the pigs. That's how people think, yeah. right? What if if this holy rabbi from the other side of the lake comes to? What is going to happen? The pigs, the cows, some some of us unholy people, right? We are better off without him. Please leave. I, I agree with that, yeah. And I think it's I think it's also important to know because some people will say some I think some people get this wrong. I do believe the reason the pigs went into the water because Yeshua allowed that to happen as well. I because you know sometimes it's told, I've heard the story told like, oh, the pigs just went crazy because they got demon possessed, and this was the pigs doing this to themselves. I think Yeshua deliberately allowed them to go into those pigs and then deliberately allowed those pigs to drown because there is a certain irony or, or metaphor here, I guess, whichever we want to look at it, of unclean spirits and unclean animals being cleansed in this water, of being thrown in here to die. They're being put in the same water that the storm happened in the previous chapter. I think, it's, I think there's just a, some deliberate imagery there in that. But specifically, they, the demons want to be in control. They're like, you know, Yeshua, please put us in these pigs. And Yeshua says, okay, yeah, you go into the pigs. And then he, I think he intentionally allows those pigs to drown to again show his authority over these demons, that even when they ask him to do what, what he wants, he's really not submitting to them. He's still in complete control of the situation. The holy rabbi is also getting rid of unclean animals that might not be there 
that should not be there. All right, some other signs of demon possession that Mark gives us here. Uh, he's perfectly sane. He wasn't, in, he wasn't perfectly sane before. So mental instability, mental illness, insanity can be connected to demon possession. They can make us crazier and crazier. Uh, inappropriate behaviors, lack of shame. Now he's fully clothed. You mentioned before that he look, but now they clothed him. So Yeshua does a tremendous work from, I liked what you were saying. This is the most pathetic human being in the darkest of the darkest places, right? This is like humanity re reduced to its absolute worst and Yeshua, when Yeshua is finished with this guy, he is marvelously restored. Didn't take years of psychotherapy, didn't take, you know, right? It was like in instantaneous. By all rights, everybody should have been on their, on their face worshiping Messiah and thanking him and pleading with him to stay and to do yet more of his, his healing work. Um, it's, 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 it's on the one hand, wonderful. Here's the man fully clothed in his right mind. This guy had for all these years been insane. And now here he is, he's in his right mind. And, and it's, it's, it's so ironic that the people want him to leave. The man himself pleads with Yeshua, please let me come with you. Uh, it's the, the, the juxtaposition of people's reaction is really remarkable. It is. Verse 18, as Yeshua was getting into the boat, now he's going back or going somewhere else. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Yeshua said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Yeshua had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Rabbi Jerry, why didn't Messiah allow the man to go with him and I guess be his disciple? He wanted him to spread the gospel to this clearly dark land. And share, and we see specifically says to share the mercy of God, share how God saved you, how the Lord has transformed you, you know, how different you are now. And what's interesting is other times we've seen him say, you know, be silent, you know, don't share what I did, right? But here he says explicitly, no, I want you to share with everybody what took place here. This is a teaching lesson for everyone. After God frees us from the control of the fallen angels, because before we come to faith, we are without God, without hope in this world. We are under the control of the God of this world. When Yeshua saves us, we might not be as demon-possessed as this man was, but when Yeshua saves us from the control of the evil spirits, which the whole world is under their control, what are each one of us supposed to do? What this man did. We go back uh, to our family and tell them everything the Lord has done for us and how merciful he has been. I know a lot of believers who 
they go to their family last. They don't want to go to their family. They're too embarrassed. They're too ashamed. There's going to be too many consequences. No. You go to your family first, and you endure the whatever consequences come, and you also tell everyone else that the Lord has freed you from the control of the dark powers. Am I right, or am I being an evangelistic nutcase? You're right. So let's try to briefly go through this last list of questions that is related to this passage. Are angels and fallen angels real? If you believe the word of God, are angels and fallen angels real? Absolutely. Or, or is it myth, something that Bible writers just made up to scare us? And I'll... If you believe the word of God, you have to believe in angels and you have to believe in fallen angels, demons, evil spirits. You have to. What is humanity's relationship to the fallen angels apart from faith in Yeshua, Rabbi Glenn? We are susceptible. We are vulnerable. Are we demon-possessed? Is humanity demon-possessed? Are we under the control of the fallen angels, Rabbi Jerry? Absolutely. The society. Satan is the god of this world, right? He controls this world and its people, and people are under his dark influence and the dark influence of the fallen angels, whether they believe in them or not, or know it or not. We need to be freed from their control. Only Yeshua of Nazareth can do that, right? What are some of the ways fallen angels, evil spirits operate? Rabbi Glenn, modus operandi. They influence our thinking. Our, th our thought life is the area of a lot of uh, that influence in battle. They, they want us to think a certain way. In particular, they want us to think not in a God way, but in a purely materialistic way. Not in a God way, not in a Bible way. They want to keep us away from truth, from God, from Bible thinking. They want to corrupt us, make us more and more inhuman and animal-like. Rabbi Jerry, what, how, how else do they operate? How, how, what are they doing? Again, just deceiving us. Uh, that's part of the work of Satan, twisting God's word, twisting God's truth. Did God really say, like in the garden, just twisting our thinking and influencing us in that way deceptively? Can believers be demon-possessed like this man was demon-possessed? Rabbi Jerry. I do not believe de uh, believers can be demon-possessed. They can be afflicted by demons. Demons can, uh, you know, Satan can come after believers, particularly if we're in sin in a dark place like this. But I do not believe once you've been filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit that a demon can inhabit you in the same way a demon inhabited this man or these pigs. They can afflict us, they can oppress us, but they can't possess us. And you agree with that? Agreed. Okay, a related issue. Um, there are churches that are really into deliverance ministries, and by that they mean casting out demons. They tend to see everything as the cause of demons, right? Um, so if we're struggling with lust, there must be a spirit, an evil spirit of lust that's 
in us, with us, causing us to lust. If we're struggling with alcohol or gambling, there must be an evil spirit of alcohol or gambling, uh, and you have to cast out the evil spirit of alcohol or gambling to be freed from it. Um, and I guess it's best to know the name of the demon of alcohol or the demon of gambling, um, right? If you're really going to cast it out, you got to talk to it and name it. Um, if we're struggling with lust or alcohol or gambling, do we cast out a demon or do we get filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit and have power to overcome the sinful nature? Rabbi Glenn. Yeah, we need to be filled with his Spirit. Um, if anything, the demons, if we start focusing on them, we're serving their purposes. Even if we're trying to get rid of them, when they become the focus, we miss the whole point. We need to be being filled with God's spirit. Everything else will follow from that. I, I would just add that the focus we see here in this passage, and I think for life is, our, our goal in life isn't to just get rid of demons in our lives or get rid of Satan. It's not just to be empty. It's to then be filled with God and the Holy Spirit. You know, getting rid of the demons isn't what this man needed the most. I mean, in that moment he needed it, but what he needed spiritually was he needed Yeshua, right? If he got these demons removed from him and then wandered away saying, well, thanks, Yeshua, but, you know, I'm going to go back to living my life, there would have been real, no real permanent transformation that took place in his life. Could I add one quick thing? Um, when Yeshua told this man what to do, go and tell your people, go and tell everybody. He did it. Um, when the Messiah has come into your life and has delivered you, the very least thing you do is do what he said to do. What distresses me is people who name the name of Yeshua but live rebellious, disobedient lives. Yeah, I know he said that, but I feel that blah, 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 blah. If he's rescued you, do what he tells you to do. Final summary thoughts. Fallen angels are real. Satan is the god of this world. They control every human being. Every human being shares the destiny of the fallen angels in the lake of fire. Buddha cannot save you, Muhammad cannot save you, science, education, technology, money cannot save you from your inevitable future ruination. Only Yeshua has the power because of who he is to cast their influence out of you. Amen. Right? If you do think someone is demon-possessed, don't start talking to the demon. Please don't ask it its name. Um, take it very seriously. Take it very seriously. <laughs> um, the demon will lie to you anyway, so don't trust what the demons might or might not say. Um, and let us know you got a possible demon possession. We have, we have had a little bit of experience with this, actually, over the years. So um, don't try to handle it on your own. Don't talk to the demons. Thank you, Rabbi Glenn. Thank you, Rabbi Chuck. <laughs>